Section twenty five of the Purple Cloud. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Recording by Gabby Cowan. The Purple Cloud by Matthew Phipps Shield. Section twenty five. Her progress is like. It is nine months since I have written on these sheets those words. Her progress is like being the beginning of some narrative in which something interrupted me, and since then I have had no impulse to write. But I was thinking just now of the curious tricks and uncertainties of my memory, and seeing the sheets will record it here. I have lately been trying to recall the name of a sister of mine, some perfectly simple name, I know, and the name of my old home in England, and they have completely passed out of my cognizance. Though she was my only sister, and we grew up closely together, some quite simple name, I forget it now, yet I can't say that my memory is bad, there are things quite unexpected, unimportant things which come up in my mind with considerable clearness. For instance, I remember to have met in Paris, I think, long before the poison cloud, a little Brazilian boy of the color of weak coffee and milk, of whom she now constantly reminds me. He wore his hair short like a convict's, so that one could spy the fish-white flesh beneath, and delighted to play solitary about the stairs of the hotel, dressed up in white balloon dress of a pirot. I have the impression now that he must have had very large ears. Clever as a flea, he was, knowing five or six languages, as it were by nature. Without having any suspicion, that that was all at all extraordinary she has that same light unconscious and nonchalant cleverness and easy way of life it is little more than a year since i began to teach her and already she can speak english with a quite considerable vocabulary and perfect correctness except that she does not pronounce the letter r she has also read or rather devoured a good many books and can write draw and play the harp and all she does without effort rather with the flightly naturalness with which a bird takes to the wing what made me teach her to read was this one afternoon fourteen months or so ago i from the roof kiosk saw her down at the lake rim a book in hand, and as she had seen me looking steadily at books, so she was looking steadily at it, with pathetic sideward head, so that I burst into laughter, for I saw her clearly through the glass, and whether she is the simplest little fool, or the craftiest serpent that ever breathed, I am not yet sure. If I thought that she has the least design upon my honor, it would be ill for her. I went to Gallipoli, 
for two days in the month of May, and brought back a very pretty little kaiki, a perfect slender crescent of the color of the moon, though I had two days' labor cutting through bush thicket for the passage of the motor in bringing it up to the lake. It has pleased me to see her lie among the silk cushions of the middle, while I, paddling, taught her her first words and sentences between the hours of eight and ten in the evening, though later they became ten a.m. to noon. When the reading began, we, sitting on the palace steps before the portal, her mouth invariably well covered with the jasmac, the lesson book being a large lettered old Bible found at her jolly. Why she must needs wear the jasmac she has never once asked, and how much she divines, knows, or intends, I have no idea, continually questioning myself as to whether she is all simplicity or all cunning. That she is conscious of some profound difference in our organization I cannot doubt, for that I have a long beard, and she none at all, is among the most patent of facts. I have thought that a certain westernness, a growing modernity of tone, may be the result, as far as I am concerned, of her presence with me. I do not know there is the gleam of a lake end just visible in the north forest from the palace top and in it a good number of fish like carp tench roach etc so in may i searched for a tackle shop in the gallipoli fatmet bazaar and got four twelve-foot rods with reels six nine quill floats a few jars of silk worm gut with a packet of number seven and eight hooks and split shot for sinkers and since red worms maggots and gentles are common on the island i felt sure of a great many more fish than the number i wanted which was none at all however for the mere amusement i fished several times lying at my length in a patch of long grass overwaved by an enormous cedar where the bank is steep and the water deep and one mid-afternoon she was suddenly there with me questioned me with her eyes and when i consented stayed and presently i said i would teach her bottom angling and send her flying up to the palace for another rod and tackle that day she did nothing for after teaching her to thread the worm and put the gentles on the smaller hooks i sent her to hunt for worms to chop up for ground baiting the pitch for the next afternoon and when this was done it was dinner-time and i sent her home for by then i was giving the reading lessons in the morning the next day i found her at the bank taught her to take the sounding for adjusting the float and she lay down not far from me holding the rod so i said to her well this is better than living in a dark cellar twenty years with nothing to do but walk up and down sleep and consume dates and 
Ishtmit wine. Yes, says she. Twenty years, said I. How did you bear it? It was not close, says she. Did you never suspect that there was a world outside that cellar? said I. Never, says she. Or ladder, yes. But I did not suppose that it was this world, but another where he lived. He? Who? He who spoke with me. Who was that? Oh, a bite, she screamed gladly. I saw her float bob under and started up, rushed to her and taught her how to strike and play it, though it turned out when landed to be nothing but a tiny barbell. But she was in ecstasies, holding it on her palm, murmuring her fond coo. She rebated, and we lay again, I said. But what a life! No exit, no light, no prospect, no hope. Plenty of hope, says she. Good heavens, hope of what? I knew very well that something was leaping over the cellar or under or along it and would come past at a certain fixed hour and that i should see it and feel it and it would be very nice oh well you had to wait for it at any rate didn't those twenty years seem long no at least sometimes not often i was always so occupied occupied in doing what in eating or drinking or learning or talking talking to yourself not myself to whom then to the one who told me when i was hungry and put the dates to satisfy my hunger i see don't wriggle about in that way or you will never catch any fish the maxim of angling is a study to be quiet oh another bite she called and this time all alone very agilely landed a good-sized brim but do you mean that you were never sad said i when she was resettled sometimes i would sit and cry says she i did not know why but if that was sadness i was never miserable never never and if i cried it did not last long and i would soon fall to sleep for he would lock me in his lap and kiss me and wipe all my tears away he who why what a question he who told me when i was hungry and of the thing that was leaping outside the cellar which would be so nice i see i see but in all that dingy place and thick gloom were you never at all afraid afraid i of what of the unknown i do not understand you how could i be afraid the known was very opposite of terrible it was merely hunger and dates thirst and wine the desire to learn and the space to learn in the desire to sleep and sleep there was nothing terrible in that and the unknown was even less terrible than the known for it was the nice thing that was leaping outside the cellar i do not understand 
ah yes said i you're a clever little being but your continual fluttering about is fatal to all angling isn't it your nature to keep still a minute and with regard now to your habits in the cellar another she cried with happy laugh and landed a young chop and that afternoon she caught seven and i none another day i took her from the beach to one of the kitchens in the village with some of the fish till then always thrown away and taught her cooking for the only cooking implement in the palace is the silver alcohol lamp for coffee and chocolate we both scrubbed the utensils and boiled and fried i taught her and the making of a sauce from vinegar bottled olives and the tin american butter from the esperanza and the boiling of rice mixed with flour for ground baiting our pitch and she at first astonished was soon all deft housewife lyness breathless officiousness and behind my back on her own intuitiveness grated some dry almonds found there and with them sprinkled the fried tench and we ate them sitting on the floor together the first new food i suppose tasted by me for twenty-one years nor did i find it disagreeable the next day she came up to the palace reading a book which turned out to be a cookery book in english found at her jolly and a week later she appeared out of hours presenting me a yellow earthenware dish containing a mess of gorgeous colours a boiled fish under red peppers bits of saffron a greenish sauce and almonds but i turned her away and would have none of her or her dish about a mile up to the west of the palace is a very old ruin in the deepest forest i think of a mosque though only three truncated internal pillars under ivy and the weedy floor with the courtyard and portal steps remain before it being a long avenue of cedars gently descending from the steps the path between the trees choked with long grass and wild rye reaching to my middle here i saw one day a large disc of old brass bossed in the middle which may have been either a shield or part of an ancient symbol with concentric rings graven round it from centre to circumference the next day i brought some nails a hammer a saw and a box of paints from the esperanza and i painted the rings in different colours cut down a slim lime trunk nailed the thin disc along its top and planted it well before the steps for i said i would make a bull's eye and do rifle and revolver practice before it from the avenue and this the next evening i was doing at four hundred feet startling the island it seemed with that unusual noise when up she came peering with inquiring face at which i was very angry because my arm long unused was firing wide but i was too proud to say anything and let her look and soon she understood laughing every time i made a considerable miss till at last i turned upon her saying if you think it so easy 
you may try it she had been wanted to try for she came eagerly to the offer and after i had opened and showed her the mechanism the cartridges and how to shoot i put into her hands one of the esperanza's colts she took her bottom limb between her teeth shut her left eye bolted out the revolver like an old shot to the level of her intense right eye and sent a ball through the geometrical centre of the boss however it was a fluke shot for i had the satisfaction of seeing her miss every one of the other five except the last which hit the black that however was three weeks since and now my hitting record is forty per cent and hers ninety-six most extraordinary so that it is clear that this creature is the protege of someone and favoritism is in the world end of section twenty five recording by gabby cowan